Chapter Ten of Charles the Bold, Last Duke of Burgundy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark DeSanzo. Charles the Bold, Last Duke of Burgundy, by Ruth Putnam. Chapter Ten: The Duke's Marriage, 1468. For many months before Philip's death there had been negotiations concerning Charles's marriage with Margaret of York. Always feeling a closer bond with his mother than with his father, Charles's sympathy had ever been towards the Lancastrian party in England, the family to whom Isabella of Portugal was closely related. Only the necessity for making a strong alliance against Louis XI turned him to seek a bride from the house of York it was on this business that lamarche and the great bastard were engaged when philip's death interrupted the discussion which charles did not immediately resume on his own behalf pending the final decision in regard to this important indication of his international policy the duke busied himself with the adjustment of his court there being many points in which he did not intend to follow his father's usage philip's lavishness without too close a query as to the disposition of every penny was naturally very agreeable to his courtiers. There was a liberal air about his households. It was easy to come and go, and it was pleasant to have the handling of money and the giving of orders, orders which were fulfilled and richly paid without haggling. Charles had other notions. He was willing to pay, but he wanted to be sure of an adequate return. How he started in on his administration with reform ideas is delightfully told by Chastelain one of his first measures when he was finally established at brussels was to secure more speedy execution of justice he appointed a new provost quote, a dangerous varlet of low estate but excellently fitted to carry out perilous work then he determined to settle petty civil suits himself as there were many which had dragged on for a long time in order to do this and to receive complaints from poor people he arranged to give audience three times a week monday wednesday and friday after dinner on these occasions he required the attendance of all his nobles seated before him on benches each according to his rank excuses were not pleasantly accepted so that few places were empty charles himself was elevated on a high throne covered with cloth of gold whence he pompously pronounced judgments and heard and answered petitions a process that sometimes lasted two or three hours and was exceedingly tiresome to the onlookers Quote, in outer appearance it seemed a magnificent course of action and very praiseworthy but in my time i have never heard of nor seen like action taken by prince or king nor any proceedings in the least similar when the duke went through the city from place to place and from church to church it was wonderful how much state and order was maintained and what a grand escort he had never a knight so old or so young who dared absent himself and never a squire was bold enough to squeeze himself into the knight's places at the levy the same rigid ceremony was observed every one had to wait his turn in his proper room the squires in the first the knights in the second and so on all left the palace together to go to mass as soon as the offering was made all the nobles were free to dine but they were obliged to report themselves to the duke immediately after his repast any failure caused the forfeiture of the fee for the day it was all very orderly and very dull thus charles of burgundy felt that he was lawgiver paternal guide philosopher and friend to his people 
from time to time he delivered harangues to his court veritable sermons he obtained hearing but certainly did not win popularity the adulatory phrases used as mere conventionalities seemed to have actually turned his head and those stock phrases were very grandiloquent there is no doubt that such comparisons were used as chastelain puts into the mouths of the first deputation from ghent to ask pardon for the sins committed at the dolorous unjoyous entry into the flemish capital Quote, my very excellent seigneur when you who hold double place place of god and place of man and have in yourself the double nature by office and commission in divine estate and as your noble discretion knows and is cognizant like god the father creator of all offences committed against you and who may be appeased by tears and by weeping as he permits himself to be softened by contrition entreaties etc and resumes his natural benignity by forgetting things past etc alas what kindness did he use toward adam his first offender upon whom through his son seth he poured the oil of pity in five thousand future years and then to cain the first-born of mother he postponed vengeance for his crime for ten generations etc what did he do in abraham's time when he sent word to lot that if there were ten righteous men in sodom and gomorrah he would remit the judgment on the two cities in ghent etc in the chancellor's answer to this plea the duke's consent to grant forgiveness to ghent is again compared to god's own mercy the divine attributes were referred to again and again not only on the pages of contemporaneous chroniclers who may be accused of desiring ducal patronage but also in sober state papers there was one antidote to this homage universally offered to charles whenever there was no rebellion against him one of the rules of the order of the golden fleece was that all alike should be subject to criticism by their fellows in may fourteen sixty eight at bruges charles held an assembly of the order the first over which he had presided it was a fitting opportunity for the knights to express their sentiments when it came to his turn to be reviewed charles listened quietly to the representations that his conduct fell short of the ideals of chivalry because he was too economical too industrious too strenuous and not sufficiently cognizant of the merits of his faithful subjects of high degrees in these plaints respectful as they are there is perhaps a note of regret for the lavish and amusing good cheer of the late duke's times charles was undoubtedly husbanding his resources at this period the vision of wide dominions was already in his dreams and he was prudent enough to begin his preparations and prudence is not a popular quality still his courtiers were not quite bereft of the gorgeous and spectacular entertainments to which the good duke had accustomed them soon after the assembly of the order the alliance between duke charles and margaret of york was celebrated at bruges our burgundian chastelain is not pleased with this marriage that charles inclined towards england at all was due to the french king whom both he and his father had found untrustworthy again had there been any other eligible parti in england charles would never have allied himself with king edward when all his sympathies were with the blood of lancaster but when king louis forsook his cousin margaret of anjou whose woes should have commanded pity simply for the purpose of undermining the duke of burgundy the latter felt it wise to make edward his friend Quote, that it was sore against his inclination he confessed to one who later revealed it to me but he decided that it was better to injure another rather than be downtrodden and injured himself for a long time there had been little love lost between him and the king 
the monarch feared the pride and haughtiness of his subject and the subject feared the strength and profound subtlety of the king who wanted he thought to get him under the whip and all this alas was the result of that cursed war of public weal cooked up by the french against their own king when charles was deeply involved in it he was deserted by the others and the whole weight of the burden fell on his shoulders so that he alone was blamed by the king and he alone was forced to look to his own safety and comfort it is a pity when such things occur in a realm and among kinsfolk louis was busied with his own affairs in touraine when news came to him that the marriage was to take place immediately quote, if he mourned it is not marvellous when i myself mourn it for the future result but the king used all kinds of machinations to break off the alliance god suffered two young proud princes to try their strength each at his will often in ways that would have been incompatible in common affairs the fullest account of the wedding is given by lamarche an eyewitness of the event quote, gilles dumas maitre d'hôtel de duc de bretagne to you i recommend myself i have collected here roughly according to my stupid understanding what i saw of the said festival to send it to you beseeching you as earnestly as i can to advise me of the noble states and high deeds in your quarter as becomes two friends of one rank and calling in two fraternal allied and friendly houses my lady and her company arrived at lecluse on a saturday june twenty fifth and on the morrow madame the duchess of burgundy mother of the duke mademoiselle of burgundy and various other ladies and demoiselles visited madame margaret and only stayed till dinner the duchess was greatly pleased with her prospective daughter-in-law and could not say enough of her character and her virtues there remained with dame margaret on the part of the duchess the charny monsieur jehan de Rubempre, and various other ladies and gentlemen to act the hosts to the strange ladies and gentlemen who had crossed from england with the bride the count and countess de charny met madame as she disembarked and never budged from her side until she had arrived at bruges the day after the duchess's visit monseigneur of burgundy made his way to lecluse with a small escort and entered the chateau at the rear after supper accompanied only by six or seven knights of the order he went very secretly to the hotel of dame margaret who had been warned of his intention and was attended by the most important members of her suite such as the seigneur d'escal the king's brother at his arrival when they saw each other the greetings were very ceremonious and then the two sat down on one bench and chatted comfortably together for some time after some conversation the bishop of salisbury according to a prearranged plan of his own kneeled before the two and made complimentary speeches he was followed by monsieur de charny who spoke as follows monseigneur you have found what you desired and since god has brought this noble lady to port in safety and to your desire it seems to me that you should not depart without proving the affection you bear her and that you ought to be betrothed now at this moment and give her your troth monseigneur answered that it did not depend upon him then the bishop spoke to margaret and asked her what she thought she answered that it was just for this and nothing else that the king of england had sent her over and she was quite ready to fulfil the king's command whereupon the bishop took their hands and betrothed them then monseigneur departed and returned on the morrow to bruges dame margaret remained at lecluse until the following saturday and was again visited by monseigneur on saturday the boats were richly decorated to conduct my lady to dame where she was received very honorably according to the capacity of that little town 
on the morrow the third of july monseigneur the duke set out with a small escort between four and five o'clock in the morning and went to dame where he found madame quite ready to receive him as all had been prearranged and monseigneur wedded her as was suitable and the nuptial benediction was duly pronounced by the bishop of salisbury after the mass charles returned to his hotel at bruges and you may believe that during the progress of the other ceremonies he slept as if he were to be on watch on the following night immediately after adolf of cleves john of luxembourg john of nassau and others returned to dame and paid their homage to the new duchess and then my lady entered a horse litter beautifully draped with cloth of gold she was clad in white cloth of gold made like a wedding garment as was proper on her hair rested a crown and her other jewels were appropriate and sumptuous her english ladies followed her on thirteen hackneys two close by her litter and the others behind five chariots followed the thirteen hackneys the duchess of norfolk the most beautiful woman in england being in the first in this array madame proceeded to bruges and entered at the gate called st croix there were too many names to be enumerated but lamarche cannot forbear mentioning a noble zealander adrian of borcelin seigneur of breda who had six horses covered with cloth of gold jewelry and silk quote, i mention him for two reasons he explains first that he was the most brilliant in the procession and the second is that by the will of god he died on the wednesday from a trouble in his leg which was a pity and much regretted by the nobility the procession from st croix to the palace was magnificent with all the dignitaries in their order so costly were the dresses of the ducal household that charles expended more than forty thousand francs for cloth of silk and of wool alone prominent in this stately procession were the nations or foreign merchants in this order venetians florentines at the head of the latter marched thomas portinari banker and counsellor of the duke at the same time that he was chief of their nation and therefore dressed in their garb spaniards genoese these latter showed a mystery a beautiful girl on horseback guarded by st george from the dragon then came the austerlings one hundred eight on horseback followed by six pages all clad in violet gay too was bruges and the streets were all decorated with cloth of gold and silk and tapestries as to the theatrical representations i can remember at least ten they were adam and eve cleopatra married to king alexander and various others the reception at the palace was very formal the dowager duchess herself received her daughter-in-law from the litter and escorted her by the hand to her chamber and for the present we will leave the ladies and the knighthood and turn to the arrangement of the hotel in regard to the service madame the new duchess was served de chansons et d'escuyers tranchants et de panetiers all english all knights and gentlemen of great houses and the chief steward cried knights to table and then they went to the buffet to get the food and around the buffet marched all the relations of monseigneur all the knights of the order and of great houses and for that day madame the duchess the mother declined to be served a couvert but left the honour to her daughter-in-law as was right after dinner the ladies retired to their rooms for a little rest and there were some changes of dress then they all mounted their chariots and hackneys and issued forth on the streets in great triumph and wonderful were the jousts of the tree of gold several days of festivity followed when the usual pantomimes and shows were in evidence tuesday the tenth and last day of the fete the grand salle was arranged in the same state as on the wedding day itself except the grand buffet which stood in the middle of the hall 
this banquet too was a grand affair and concluded the festivities on the morrow wednesday july fifteenth monseigneur departed for holland on a pressing piece of business and he took leave of the duchess of norfolk and the other lords and ladies of quality and gave them gifts each according to his rank thus ends the story of this noble festival and for the present i know nothing worth writing you except that i am yours to this may be added the letter of one of the paston family who was in margaret's train quote, john paston the younger to margaret paston to my right reverend and worshipful mother margaret paston dwelling at caister be this delivered in haste right reverend and worshipful mother i recommend me unto you as humbly as i can think desiring most heartily to hear of your welfare and heart's ease which i pray god send you as hastily as my heart can think please it you to weet that at the making of this bill my brother and i and all our fellowship were in good health blessed be god as for the guiding here in this country it is as worshipful as all the world can devise it and there were never englishmen had so good cheer out of england that ever i heard of as for tidings here but if it be of the feast i can none send you saving that my lady margaret was married on sunday last past at a town that is called the dame three miles out of bruges at five of the clock in the morning and she was brought the same day to bruges to her dinner and there she was received as worshipfully as all the world could devise as with procession with ladies and lords best beseen of any people that ever i saw or heard of many pageants were played in her way to bruges to her welcoming the best that ever i saw and that same day my lord the bastard took upon him to answer twenty-four knights and gentlemen within eight days at jousts of peace and when they were answered they twenty-four and himself should tourney with other twenty-five the next day after which is on monday next coming and they that have jousted with him into this day have been as richly beseen and himself also as cloth of gold and silk and silver and goldsmith's work might make them for of such gear and gold and pearls and stones they of the duke's court neither gentlemen nor gentlewomen they want none for without that they have it by wishes by my troth i heard never of so great plenty as here is and as for the duke's court as of lords ladies and gentlewomen knights squires and gentlemen i heard never of none like to it save king arthur's court and by my troth i have no wit nor remembrance to write to you half the worship that is here but what lacketh as it cometh to mind i shall tell you when i come home which i trust to god shall not be long to fore we depart out of bruges homeward on tuesday next coming and all folk that came with my lady of burgundy out of england except such as shall abide here still with her which i wot well shall be but few we depart the sooner for the duke hath word that the french king is purposed to make war upon him hastily and that he is within four or five days journey of bruges and the duke rideth on tuesday next coming forward to meet with him god give him good speed and all his for by my troth they are the goodliest fellowship that ever i came among and best can behave themselves and most like gentlemen other tidings we have none here but that the duke of somerset and all his band departed well beseen out of bruges a day before that my lady the duchess came thither and they say here that he is to queen margaret that was and shall no more come here again nor be holpen by the duke 
no more but i beseech you of your blessing as lowly as i can which i beseech you forget not to give me every day once and mother i beseech you that ye will be good mistress to my little man and to see that he go to school written at bruges the friday next after st thomas your son and humble servant j paston the younger end of chapter ten